how's it going? Hi, you're listening to In at the End podcast. Podcast. Yeah. Um, we just watched episode three, um, denial, anger, acceptance, and it's one actually I don't think we've talked that much about before. Um, I think. In some in some ways it's it's a little bit of a build up episode. In some ways it's a little bit of a like setting the scene for more things episode. So I think in the past I haven't given it enough credit for the episode that it yeah. is. Um, and actually watching it tonight, I I really enjoy it. Like for me now that kind of is a standout in some ways. It introduces some things that are really pervasive throughout the whole series. It is. I think there's a lot of exposition. I think it does start to get the plot moving, but I think it's interesting. I think it also starts to delve a lot deeper with some characters for the first time, and we start to see the depth that everybody in Soprano World's going to have. Yeah. I think that's really cool. Yeah, but I think there's just also, like, I don't know, maybe it speaks to me more, and maybe we'll, we'll, maybe we'll talk more about the capacity of art to speak to you in a moment, but maybe it speaks to me more now than it has in the past also and i was going to talk a little bit about that yeah or at least that's what i was thinking about when i was watching this episode um last week i think we started with the title do you want to start again this week with the title denial anger acceptance yeah so i think it's interesting and um those are the five stages of grief right so these are the stages that well sorry those are three of the five stages of grief um the, in coping with death so um, in, in coping with grief, like okay. grief over, yeah, grief over anything. I mean, typically like, like things you grieve over do include death, obviously, but the order of them as they're kind of sold as a package, it goes denial, anger, and then bargaining, depression, and then acceptance. So we're missing out on the bargaining and the depression. Right. Um, and so just by like thinking about the title this week. I was like, there's a re- there's a reason why they left those out, right? And I think actually yeah. the reason why they left those out is I saw more of those, more of bargaining and more of depression in that episode than I saw of the other stages of grief. Oh, interesting. I was um, actually about to go the other route with so, that. Yeah, so I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about, um, like, what it is that, like, why they chose this, right? Like, is there something that, like, what is it that Tony's really grieving about? Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to delve into the title a bit. Right. You go, tell me, That's tell me what you were thinking about. Yeah. Well, I think with Tony, I think we see more denial and anger along the way hmm. to dealing with grief than anything else in terms of his angry outburst that he has with Artie, that he has with Dr. Melfi. I think he's definitely constantly denying things in his life, the way that he denies his, um, complicity and, in, in creating the world around him and creating destruction and introducing these questions of, uh, is he a golem or a Frankenstein or a monster? Um, and, and yeah, and I don't see as much bargaining and depression, at least in this episode, especially depression. I think that's something that is focused on Mm. at other times in the season, but in this one, it's more these angry outbursts that get, become the center point. Depression was actually mentioned twice, and now I'm trying. I'm forgetting the second time it was mentioned. But when he's in the kitchen with Artie, mm-hmm. he calls him a depressed jerk or something right. like that, um, or a depressing jerk. Right. Um, and then oh fuck, I can't remember the other time that he uses, and he calls someone else depressing or another situation. Oh, he, d- he calls the painting depressing. That's right. Um, he calls. Um, Which is. We'll right. talk about the painting also. But I do see, um, so anyways, that kind of covers the, depress- the depression thing. I don't know, again, I, I just feel like there's important when things are being left out um, and there's importance about why those are being left out. So maybe you have more to say about what your theory on that is. Um, but I didn't see depression as much as I saw bargaining. And I think particularly like in the scenes with the Hasidic, um, Hasidic divorce that's going yeah. on in the episode, Um, there is this level of, you know, not, not in the way that the five stages of grief deal with bargaining, but there is this level of bargaining in order for people to get out in the best way possible. And that's typically what happens in grief in a lot of ways. It's like, well, um, like if this happens, then I can be okay with this. Or 
yeah, if this, right. then this, right? So I think like with Jackie, for example, like a lot of those scenes in the hospital, I want to delve more into those also. So this is always challenging just to talk about the title because it's really usually indicative of the whole episode. But a lot of those scenes with Jackie, you really see Tony, um, like when he gets the stripper, right? It's like, well, if I give him this joy, like yeah. maybe that'll like that'll make this okay or that'll make this easier to deal with because he I mean again we'll go into this after but again like when he talks about Jackie in Melfi's office his voice has this I don't know this quality to it that is just so sad Um, and so I and like it's clear that this is something that's so hard for him to deal with is the death of his friend it's coming out in anger it's coming out in denial right so maybe that part with the stripper is also a little bit of denial too but I think it is that like well if I do this this will be okay Um, that's really interesting though I think maybe when I was saying I didn't see as much bargaining and depression that was for Tony and I was really mm. looking from the perspective of Tony. But if you look at other characters, like, for instance, Artie, mm. perhaps he's engaging in more depression and bargaining than the other steps yeah. along the way to acceptance. Yeah, I forgot grief. about it. Because, and maybe that's part of it, is that all these characters are dealing with grief in different ways, but there are these kind of flawed human ways where they don't accept all parts that are necessary to reach a conclusion of, of dealing with, with grief in your life. I was So I was trying to think of what are the examples of people dealing with grief in this episode. So we have Artie, who's dealing grieving with... Grieving his restaurant. Grieving his restaurant. He talks about it like it's losing a limb. Yeah. And we have Tony responding to that. We have Jackie in the hospital. That's definitely a prime example. Um, and we have not only Tony, but everybody in the family Yeah. dealing with it in different well, ways. Well, including, like, I guess, just like a funny moment is uh, Mikey... Um, and he deals with it in this like very kind of depressing, actually, that's another instance I think where they do call him a depressing motherfucker, I think, um, but where he deals with it in this like, kind of like, well, I know this person and this happened to them. Right. And there's people out there who definitely like, if they have a family member who's sick or dying, like that's where they lean to. And then we have other characters dealing with it in these other variously, you know, successful ways. Yeah. Um, and, even, yeah. and even Charmaine really dealing with grief over the restaurant and how she's going to move forward and also engaging with that in a completely different way too of kind of taking that out on Carmela in the end. Yeah. In, in, the, kind best, of power in the best dynamic. way possible. It's a pretty good way to do it. Yeah. But let's, we'll, we'll get to that. Why yeah. don't we kind of go through the episode and talk sure. about the things that were standing out to sure. us. Um, I think it, we could start at the beginning because I think that kind of sets up some of the dynamics. Um, I mean, right at right at the top, we have Chris and Brendan, and uh, Junior and Mikey, kind of being compared back mm-hmm. to back. We have mm-hmm. Chris and Brendan in a car with this kind of like flashy lighting. Red lighting. They're doing cocaine in the car. There's techno music. There's techno music. It really kind of evokes the exact same environment that we had when they were at a club mm. in the previous episode. Yeah, it's um, even kind of like jerky. Like it's like I don't know. There's something about the filming or yeah. their, and their body movements. Like they're clearly high. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely evoking that. And then Junior and Mikey is the complete opposite. They're playing jazz, and there's this these paintings behind. <laughs> what was them the of, jazz in that scene? Just, I mean, just actually, jazz. it wasn't even really jazz. It was like yeah. piano music. Okay. It was light piano. Sorry, Alex is a soothing. jazz musician, so it's helpful. Sometimes I can throw in some completely useless jazz knowledge later on in the episode when I can tell you what jazz standard they were playing. But cool, that's about as useful as that skill set's going to be for this. Cool. <laughs> but I do think that they're comparing them and tying it into the mm. themes of the last episode of this kind of old guard and new guard. The paintings behind Junior mm. and Mikey of these kind of ancient structures. Um, that have been maintained. And actually what I love about this episode is it really introduces the concept of using a painting to communicate. We're going to have to go into that one. Like There's in, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. And the show loves that. And I love that. I love it in general. I mean, I feel like this show taught me how to watch film and TV in so many ways. Totally. Just knowing that everything is so intentional and anything in the shot is deliberate and mm. communicating something. Mm-hmm. And the show does such a great job of that. And the paintings are a great example of 
having an image communicate so much about what the show is trying to communicate at any given point. Okay, let's come back. Let's come back to it because I, I also yeah. have some more stuff to say about that too. Yeah. Um, well, that immediately moves into um, Tony being at Melfi's office, and yeah. they move again to focus on a right. painting of this rotted tree, or this what Tony calls a core shock. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I love, I love the way the camera shows you where Tony's eyes are focusing. Yeah. That's just like, and that's yeah. like, for me, I don't know, I don't know where that, like, who that's inspired by or where that comes from or if that's Chase. I, I don't know. Um, it's but just great acting, I think. It's just such great facial yeah, control from James Gandolfi. It is, it is an intense... also that, of course, like, yeah. you know, and I feel like I'm seeing it through his eyes and it's a really, like, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, lo I love that scene with the Korshak slash, well, it's actually like, you know, he's he is referring to a Rorschach test. Um, and I love how she plays dumb on that one, too. Like, she obviously knows what a Rorschach test is, but right. she focuses on the fact that Tony thinks that she's trying to trick him. Yeah. Um, which, tr the tricking comes up in a number of different ways, too, in this episode. One thing that I liked about that that I thought was really interesting was Tony focusing on this this painting of a tree and nature and this barn. And I started noticing in this episode that there was a lot of examples of the composition, including some greenery and mm. some nature in the shot. Mm. And I think that was very intentional. So we have Tony focusing on the tree. We have when Tony's in Melfi's office behind Melfi is greenery. We have in the, in the scene where he's meeting with Shlomo uh, outside Satriales, there's some greenery kind of like, on the side of the shot when he's in Artie's garage it's very dark it's it's very it's not lit yeah. very well but you see all this greenery that's kind of very outside, bright outside peripheral, yeah there's a lot of it and actually it got me thinking about what we were talking about on the ducks and I feel like we've been kind of decoding that over the process of these three episodes and probably will continue for the whole series but I think for me part of it is that the ducks come out of nature and something that's really hard for Tony is that he can't control nature and he wants to he wants to control everything you have in the opening sequence he's kind of going upwards and upwards towards this house that he's built and created at the top of the hill he's really kind of like the king of this domain but the ducks are coming out of nature and they're resting in that environment they're in his pool and he's caring for them and trying to be going back to the power dynamic kind of in control of them and helping them mm. But eventually they leave. He doesn't have control over nature. And then when he looks up, we have that shot. It's really imposing because he's just looking up at the sky yeah. where they've flown off to. And I think that's really hard for him because he truly doesn't have control over nature. And I think that keeps on coming back to haunt these characters in this episode through art, through environment, through where people are, mm -hmm. through scenery. And I, I think it's it's really interesting. Yeah, well, that painting too. I mean, this is all—it's all connected. So I'm going a little bit tangential, but that painting reminds me a lot of the painting he eventually gets of Piomai. Right. And it's just like missing the horse, really, right. a lot in a lot of ways. Um, and I do believe there's also like a rotting tree of some right. sort. We're gonna have to check back in on right. that. Or the um, one of Tony as Napoleon. I love the one right. of Tony as Napoleon, <laughs> but. Um, but I, I love when they focus it on that painting on the dark door, right? They focus it on the barn door. Yeah. In my recollection, I thought they focused it on the tree because in Melfi's conversation, mm. she, they talk about the rotting tree, the rotting tree. And so, like, when I was recalling this scene prior to watching the episode tonight, um, I was thinking more about the tree. But really, they don't really focus on the tree. They focus it on the door. And so when you said that about Artie's garage, yeah. um, that was actually really interesting because it is, like, dark blue and black right um door yeah we see a lot of doors also like in the hospital scenes there's definitely like an definitely. emphasis on those doors so maybe we'll figure out how to unpack that as we well as going we talk, to that but. hospital room i think when they first show jackie in there and everybody there i think again there's this huge emphasis on blues mm. and it seems so deliberate i'm starting to really think that it it has to be intentional the same way we were talking about it in the last episode mm -hmm. my best theory was that it was representing some kind of calming or stabilizing influence mm. and i think that is kind of i'm 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 feeling like there's some consistency there i mean as soon as you go into the hospital room i mean it's it's pretty extreme jackie's gown is blue his blanket is blue his tv is painted blue. blue the wall is blue the iv liquids are blue 
And then what's really interesting is that when they come back to the room later... When the stripper's there. I thought that they were in... When the stripper's there, I thought that they were in a different room. But it's not. It's the lighting. They really yeah. darken it. Well, it almost, and, green, it almost greens it. Right. But at the same time, when they open the door to the outside, when the nurse is coming in, and at the end when Tony walks out, it's extreme. It's mm. all those very vibrant, deep blues. Mm -hmm. And you see the hospital doors, again, mm -hmm. that are leading into these other medical rooms are that very deep rich it's blue similar to the barn to be honest like there's that there was that blue quality like dark blue quality to those doors as well and in a show where everything is this deliberate i just feel like it's oh the blue like now when you start to pay attention to things they yeah. just start to like kick you in the fucking right. face like, or christopher when he's going to see meadow yeah about about the speed yeah he's wearing this he's blue polo i mean shirt. you wouldn't think that that's a stabilizing influence but he's trying to do it in the most supportive way and he's actually talked into it by adriana because he cares for her and he cares for his family and he wants to keep her safe and he's talking to her to calm her down in the moment to be smart about it to not introduce it to the rest of the family mm -hmm. and yeah, I think it's I think yeah. it's really interesting. And it's Let's... it's interesting how powerful that can be just to have a color associated with something in the show. Yeah. Now we do this without editing. <laughs> we also do this without talking about it ahead of time. So <laughs> we may jump around <laughs> a little bit at times. I want to just circle back. Colors I I want to focus it on it's colors okay. for sure. Yeah. But I want to circle back around to the paintings cuz I I I'd like to just like visit that topic as a whole yes. instead of kind of going like scene by scene kind of thing. Yeah. Um, the other ones that really stood out to me, um, I'm just going to like throw them out there. We can talk about them. Um, the When Carmela and Tony are in their bedroom, it's the first time we see them in like a mm. quasi-sexual way, I guess, if you want to put it that way, although really non-sexual way compared to his uh, the later scene when we see him with, uh, what's her name? Arena. Arena. Um, but anyways, he when Meadow's making too much noise, he actually pounds right on the painting that's hanging above their, <laughs> above their bed, which I thought was quite yeah. funny. You don't get a good shot of that painting, but he pounds right on it. Um, and you're very aware of it in the scene. And then Carmela goes to Meadow's room, and Meadow's room is just covered in posters, like Teen Beat mm -hmm. magazine posters, um, which I don't know if we would classify them as paintings, but that's the way that she chooses to decorate her room. And then we go to, later, we go to Irina's apartment. Um, and she has some really neat art in her apartment. She has this one kind of like geometric piece. I'd like to know what it was. Yeah. But then they focus in, Tony focuses in rather, on um, the pool scene where you see like evidence of someone having just jumped in. He focuses in a lot on the empty chair. That's where yeah. his eyes go is to that empty chair. Yeah. And so then he asks her like, what is this? Yeah. What do you What do you think it means? Yeah. Um. And she she says it just reminds her of David Hockey. I think she means David Hockney because he has a painting that's quite like that. The big splash or something. Yeah. yeah. Uh. But there's no chair in it though. Okay. Um. I think it's somewhere in New York. I think we should go visit okay. it. Okay. Um. But yeah, those are the ones. Those are the ones that stood out for me, and I found myself kind of like you know trying to keep track of a lot of things. But yeah. those are the ones that really stood out for me. Just the way that different people um, keep their art, um, and well, I and I think it's for me it's something kind of larger about art that you and I have been talking about, like in other contexts of our lives. That I think Sopranos, and we talk about it in the context of Sopranos as well. That. Um, the way that we interpret art and the way that we see art is so influenced by our current context, our current state of mind, right? So when you think about it in the context of like depression, for example, you are going to view things through a different lens than you do when you're less depressed. Um, watching Sopranos multiple times, right? I think we settled on the fact that we've watched it now for me for Alex five times. Um, every time I watch The Sopranos, I see different things hit me differently or I see things differently. And so I thought that focus in on art was for me really representative of kind of my whole, my whole experience with art, because it is so much about like, what does this mean to you? And right. what does it mean to you right now through your lens? And that's I think why I like seeing things through Tony's eyes yeah. too, because it gives me that extra yeah. layer. Anyways. Let's talk about that painting with the chair though. Yeah. So, 
First of all, I think it's interesting. I mean, having this blank chair, this empty chair, definitely creates the impression that there is somebody in that space. And the splash also kind of suggests that somebody's just jumped, although we can't see them, which kind of ties to Tony's comment about Jackie being there and being not there. Mm, so we mm. kind of have that aspect of the painting. Um, but is it, I, I think this episode is fascinating because I think it introduces this idea of a big nothing that becomes yeah. so central to the show. And we have that later. Christopher actually about... uses the term big nothing. But in but the... they talk about death being for something. Yeah. And I that's, and... that called me to mind with like things being a big nothing. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, And I think that focus of Tony on the empty chair, he's definitely drawn to that, to that idea that there's... There's, there's nothing there or there's nobody there. And it's, 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 yeah, it's definitely very interesting. And also that Arena doesn't see that in particular, that she just kind of perhaps mistakenly references the artist. I don't know. No, I, I like what I, I think what she says is actually kind of deeper. Like it, rem, she's knowledgeable enough to know about another painting and she has this painting that reminds her of another painting. Yeah. It's actually kind of deep. Yeah. Right. Um, she, I mean, she like meant maybe again. It's hard to hear it if she says hockey or hockney. Right. Um, so maybe. So you know. We did I put on know. our subtitles, but maybe they got it wrong. They they could also <laughs> have gotten it wrong. But I think in that in that Melfi session, you know, Tony talks about if all this shits for nothing, why have we got to think about it? And that introduces Melfi bringing up, well, that's the big question, and I think that's the big question mm. of the series. Yeah. It does have this kind of nihilistic approach, but then there's also these fleeting moments of there are things that matter and there are things that matter for the family and for life. And it, it isn't completely bleak. There's humor and there's sometimes a somewhat optimistic outlook on things, even though it's kind of framed in this extremely pessimistic, mm -hmm. bleak worldview. I love how she puts it. Um, something, something, the gift of knowing that you're going to die. And she she treats it as a gift, right? Um, yeah. But and and then Tony talks about this in terms of like the Hasidic um, man in that episode not being afraid to die, um, and he says that he's not either, right? Um, which is interesting, you know. We think about but the, he's at not the end of yeah. the end of the whole series, right? We can think about being afraid to die or or the gift right. of knowing that you're going to die, right? Um, I think that it's really interesting how it introduces that concept of principle and what it means mm. to different characters. You know, we have Ariel, who talks about the story of the Masada and the 900 Jews against the 15,000 Romans. And he really does have this kind of tenacity and this willingness to kind of like be stoic in the face of death for his principles. And when you hear him describe everything... In the situation, you are compassionate for him in some ways because, logically, he he does have grounds for what he believes in. Um, but the question is, is Tony and his agents, are they monsters? Are they golems? And in some ways, they are. They're just acting without any regards to principle or logic. They're just out for money. And in some ways, they're right. It is, they are, he is a golem. He is a monster. Yeah, but, I mean, this show's the best at dealing, at never classifying anything as black or white. So I was finding myself asking, like, well, was the, like, the Hasidic husband, was he actually abusing the daughter? Right. Or was the father-in-law just trying to get his money? Right. Um, like, so calling someone a golem or a Frankenstein or right. a monster... Um, doesn't acknowledge the problems with the characters who are saying those things. Sure. And you know, again, the like, complexity of, who, yeah, like, of, who is Tony? Like, we were talking about this in the car the other day. Like, is, is he, is there anything redeeming about Tony Soprano? Um, I think this, that's a, that's a central question of this episode too. Yeah. And I think we're definitely supposed to be thinking about that at the end when he's going to see the choir performance. And actually I had a lot of I had a lot of thoughts on that. I think the show on first watch and the way that you can see it on this kind of surface level, they kind of suggest to you, oh there is more to this guy. Mm. Here he is emotional at his daughter's choir mm. performance. 
He's kind of fighting back tears. In the end of the last episode, he's mm -hmm. fighting back tears over these emotions for his family. But if you actually look at the context and the realities of those situations, they're actually very bleak. And they're actually very representative of already what a horrible person he is and what he's involved in. Well, where those emotions come from is also not necessarily related to this, the Perhaps. thing he's right there in at the moment. And also I what yeah. I loved about this episode is during all those scenes, they're just they're weaving in all the horrible stuff that the mob is doing at those exact moments. Yeah. And you can't differentiate those two things from his life. They're both happening at the same time. Yeah. So you have this violence and you have these emotional family times and they're competing. They're competing for our attention as a viewer and I think they're competing for the soul of Tony Soprano, but it tarnishes anything that could be humanizing because as we're watching it, we know what's actually happening. We know that it's Tony who controlled these situations and yeah, made them no, happen. It, it happens twice, at least in this. I mean, it happens all the time in this series, which again, it's that, you know, he never lets you see anything as black or white. But it happens when they're having their fundraising party at the house and it cuts to that very quick scene of the trunk, right? Of the car yeah. trunk when they're throwing that, the Hasidic guy in. Um, and then it happens again in the last scene when Tony's at the choir concert yeah. and then it flashes to them, you know, yeah. terrorizing Christopher yeah. and uh, shooting Brendan. Well, I, I love that at the, at the dinner party. The fact that they, they have a scene where they're at the dinner party and then they cut away from Carmela, and all of a sudden we're at this huge amount of violence where Ariel's being thrown into a car. And it's like a nine-second scene mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. And then we're just back. And mm -hmm. it fades. And the edit they use is cut to black. And then we're on the black, the back of Tony, his right. suit jacket. And then he walks in. But I was thinking about that. You don't really think about it because it already they've introduced this world as everything's so linked. But that's such a bold move. You're at a dinner party, you establish the context, what's going on, and then we have eight seconds of violence, and then you're just back at the dinner party. Yeah. Most shows would just stay at the dinner party, and you have that scene happen elsewhere. Yeah. though That whole succession of scenes, and that's why, like, when I was remembering back this episode in a, you know, like, you know, I love all the episodes, but I wasn't remembering it as a standout. That succession of scenes really got me because then after that scene, so we go from the party to the trunk, back to the party where Tony and Artie have this, like, pretty wonderful, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, interaction. Like, Artie's really pissed and Tony's really pissed, but they kind of end up laughing. They're old friends and you see Carmela watching from yeah. the outside in a kind of adoring and loving way. Like, she's not upset about this scenario, even though she's throwing this party and her husband's having a food fight in the kitchen, which right. might piss. You'd be pissed. I'd be so pissed. <laughs> um, she was really being quite adoring. But then we go from that scene to Irina's apartment. Right. Well, and, yeah. yeah. And so. for me, I think that's another great example of, on surface, it's endearing, it's humanizing, but it's not. No, I know. Exactly. Exactly. And even Tony's that interaction with Artie is kind of fucked up. Totally the, fucked. The way that he's taking out his anger on Artie's depression kind of links back to the title of the episode and mm -hmm. the way that all these characters are dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last scene is kind of a masterpiece. It's, it's unbelievable. Mean, just like, like really starting there, like starting from the, um, the fundraiser party, yeah. all those scenes are just like boom, Amazing. boom, boom. Yeah. Like it just like carries you to the end of that episode. There was a um, few, there was, there was actually a lot of lighting decisions that I thought were really interesting. And it introduces something that we see later on, for instance, in college, and we'll talk about it when we're there, but they have that revolving shot around Tony's face and it really starts to get to the heart of like, okay, well, who is Tony? And seeing the different sides mm. of his face and having different lighting on different sides of his face, I think can be really effective. And I think... David Chase in the show and in this episode in particular lights people's faces depend dependent on what he's trying to communicate mm. for their actions at a given time. We have in the session with Melfi, you have this, do you feel like a Frankenstein in this very brightly lit mm -hmm. face and this two-toned lighting on Tony's face. Um, and then what, what the other thing that I thought was really interesting was a kind of cut to Meadow who's fully lit. And we have 
this relationship also between, um, e- I mean, everything, everything's mm-hmm. interlinked, but mm-hmm. we have, you know, Tony, or sorry, we have uh, Christopher who's kind of getting threatened to be killed during Meadows' performance. And even that is linked that Chris is yelling out that he thinks that it's, it's because giving, of Meadow. He I thinks know. about it's it's about giving the speed. So this, again, that's another example of like this heartwarming family moment. <laughs> Chris thinks that he's dying for getting in the way of the family, even though he's not. But there's just all this complexity about the way everything's everything's lit. And, you know, at different yeah. points. Also, even like in the choir, they're all wearing like this two-tone black and white yeah. outfit. Well, and so what does light allow us to see, right? So that's the thing that I, I always think about here. Light allows us to see people's flaws and people's darkness, if you even want to call it that. Like, for example, with the, I was thinking about what you said, the meadow, like the meadow thing, right? Her being so lit and on stage allowed us to see that she and Hunter were like rolling mm-hmm. on speed. Right. They, they were sweating. Like, we were able to see the beads of sweat on their right. faces, right? Um, right. Shining uh, light on something. Yeah. Something and yeah. so, like, although we, like, you know, light and dark, there's that, like, oh, like, I mean, they're, yeah. they're opposites. Actually, like, light allows us to see sometimes people's darkness, or it at least allows us to see those flaws. But I think, like, yeah, like, he's he's kind of obsessed with that idea, I think, of black blackness and whiteness and whatever the fuck is in yeah. between um, well actually and that brings up something interesting which is the song they use in the during the credits the elvis costello and they have these lyrics never should have never played with a gun in the in those complicated shadows and it, that's something that i think is so key to watching this show is just it's funny for a show that deals with so much subtext and reading between the lines of metaphors sometimes their use of music is so literal Mm. And the lyrics can kind of just immediately tie into the themes of a given episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've like comfortably numbs a great example yeah. at the very end, you know, where or you know right now it's so relevant to what the episode is putting out there in terms of its main themes. Yeah, never should have played with a gun. Complicated shadows. Complicated yeah. shadows. Um, yeah, totally complicated shadows. It is good band it's- name. It's a good. It's a good band name. Maybe we should have called our podcast "Complicated Shadows." Uh, hmm. Well, too bad. Um, but yeah, no. I don't, let's let's pay attention to that as we keep going. And I know, like, that's something that's definitely, obviously, on purpose, right? When, when we film, we can we create our lighting um, very purposely. So I think that's yeah. And I mean, there's you know, there's. Uh... There's other examples. Another thing, actually, in this episode was just I was so impressed by the, the shots, the the cinematography. There was some just beautiful shots. Mm. Tony walking into the motel at the end mm. was just, or, or Tony going up those stairs, going to up the stairs, or when he's sitting on the stairs and kind of looking up. Mm-hmm. It just looks incredible. Um, but yeah, so when we have Tony with Shlomo, um, and Shlomo is now trying to not give him mm-hmm. the full amount. We have the camera spin around to the dark side of Tony's face. That's another example. Mm. Um, right when Shlomo's kind of saying, I've created a golem, a monster, a Frankenstein. You are mud. And yeah. as he's calling him mud, we kind of switch to that darker side of Well, and of you face. see it in the scene, right? Like, he puts his arm around Shlomo at first, like, kind of chummy. Yeah. You know? And then, and he's and actually then pins backlit, him up against Which is really interesting. Yeah. Very, very bright lighting from behind him. But we're looking at him from the dark side now. Yeah. And it's when he actually exercises violence against him. Yeah. I want to come back to the color thing for okay. a moment. Again, sorry to jump around. Um, green. Green is really standing out to me this time and i know like you you captured some of the stuff about the blues but the green moments were really getting to me um for example irena's whole apartment was super Mm -hmm. green um that's the first time we also see tony in like a again kind of quasi-sexual interaction we still don't see you know it was in contrast to his scene with carmela in their bedroom earlier but um it was an extraordinarily green room uh, we talked about green a little bit in the last episode as well um, and the different scenes that were green. So I, I don't really have a working theory on it except for yeah. maybe the tie-ins with that power and control and, mm. like, domains, right? So, like, we see, like, he's placed Livia in green 
whatever it is, green, green grove, green grove, um, the nature stuff, Irina's apartment, which I think he pays for, right? If we think they do, I think that's they do state that something later. like that. Um, so like the things that are either in his domain or wants to be in his domain or out of his domain. Yeah. I also think this is a great opportunity in Arena's apartment to uh, use my Masters of Jazz performance and my oh. relevant skill set that they were playing the song tenderly. Oh. Um, make of that as you will. I mean, I think it's, I think, you know, obviously they chose it on purpose, right? We do see moments where Tony comes across as very tender. It's true. You know? Wow. Deep. Is Deep. it? No, it is. But like, yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't actually, those are the things I find like a little bit like not criticizing whatsoever but like those are a little less deep like the word for word meaning right. like meaning of the lyrics like it's like oh wow that's really hitting us right over the head with that message which is great but the thing which i like but for me it's not because you're not thinking about it yeah. and when you're watching tv and you're watching film you're not processing the lyrics on that yeah. level no, or at I least know. i'm not i yeah. don't know i can only speak for myself there's I, so much going on i listen on. to lyrics i don't know i'm a lyrics person but, but it's funny like it's almost hidden it's like when we were watching the third season of twin peaks or a lot of mm. david lynch things he hides so much meaning in the soundtrack mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the sound effects and he's actually like so involved mm -hmm. in the production at that level and it's it's really interesting to see these filmmakers kind of using different disciplines to kind of like evoke feeling and to bring across meaning and i think totally it's funny because it's so literal but it's one step removed and you don't get it necessarily yeah. i don't i don't i don't yeah, know yeah no i mean i think probably david lynch taught me how to do that i don't think i like knew to do that maybe before yeah watching that um but yeah what else do we want to talk about i i had some like minor things that i wanted to talk about um, well, just actually one more color thing, actually. And yeah. it goes back to kind of what I was saying about the black and white. It ties into other things, too. Um, I love how we're introduced to characters in this episode that really represent the gray area, mm. um, which I think is a relevant color term. Um, like Carmela. Um, yeah. Like uh, we're introduced to Ro, to Rosalie April. Um, yeah. and both of them have these moments and well, Rosalie more so like all the dudes come into the, ho the hospital room and they, they start to mention something that is violent. I'm not even sure at this point what it was. And she's like, I'm going to go to the cafeteria and yeah. she steps out, like kind of just like blocking herself. Denial. Denial. Mm -hmm. Nice. <laughs> um, we see it a little bit with with Carmela. I know we like if we know the character of Carmela, we see it a lot more clearly um, in later episodes. But we see it with Adriana as well, who I just she's one of my favorite characters. But um, when um, when Meadow comes to Chris's apartment with Hunter, and she brings up that thing like that you know a parenting argument, if you want to put it out there, like well, isn't it better if we give it? Um, what did she say? Like, isn't it better if you give it to them instead of her going out to Jefferson Avenue mm. or whatever they say? Um, which makes me think back to also, like, past times we've talked about, like, who is fit to be a parent and those good parenting decisions. And, of course, like, later on in the show, um, Adriana wants to be a parent. Right. Um, anyways, I just th that just stood out. That just stood out to me, that whole gray area concept. Um, and there was one scene that was very gray, and I commented on it when we were watching, it but I can't remember. It was in Christopher's apartment. In Christopher's apartment, Christopher yeah. Christopher and, and maybe Christopher is a more gray character than the rest of them, too. Like, we've been talking maybe. recently about, I don't know, I'm putting this out there. Maybe is Christopher's story arc my favorite? Maybe, yes. Mm. Um, but he, you know, he's a very complex character where the other characters are also complex but you can kind of position them a little bit better um, whereas I think the characters in those in that apartment were very gray yeah I think and another thing that you reminded me of there is just kind of the introduction of really fleshing out a lot of these woman characters mm. woman characters woman, woman that are character, <laughs> woman characters I was trying to say okay fleshing out women as characters Okay. How's that? It's okay. It's okay. Uh -huh. Okay. I did okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't do okay. I did pretty bad. But no. <laughs> okay. That's that's all right. I think. How, how about female characters? Female characters. Okay. 
that's much better. <laughs> so I think what I'm trying, what okay, what struck me is that from watching a lot of shows, I'm struck by the fact that the writing brings my attention to that female characters aren't believable in some way. I feel like there's a man totally. writing them and that the women don't come across as believable women. And that there's a lot of shows without naming names, perhaps our other favorite show. And maybe <laughs> something that makes this my, my favorite show is, is the fact that it has this dimension, this believability, this reality, and this female perspective that comes across in the writing and through the characters that I don't think happens in that much TV, which is really unfortunate and sad, but I think this show just is is such deep, incredible writing that it can accurately portray such a wide range of perspectives. Absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, um, in terms of the female characters, is they're not just kind of like bit parts, which I feel like in other shows... <coughs> Um, Rhonda Perlman, perhaps, as Ooh, a character. You went there. I know. Um, but the those, I don't know, I just see, like, so many female characters who are written as supporting the male protagonist or as, like, a little side story for the male protagonist. But here, um, the whole dynamic between masculinity and femininity and between men and women is essential to the show. And so I think that's of... I think that's why we have such great female characters in The Sopranos, even though, yes, a lot of the action does center around this, like, boys club. Mm -hmm. um, we have amazingly complex and believable characters. I mean, all throughout, not just the female characters, obviously, but it does stand out in contrast to other shows. And that these characters aren't supporting, that they're no. integral to the story, and perhaps even looking at these female spaces and the framing of the whole show is that they're maybe even the most important. Even with Tony as a protagonist, it's obvious how central the impact of the woman in his life are on his psyche. So even with him as a narrator, there's an ensemble of characters that are really central to everything that's happening in this show. Yeah, I mean, you could also say it's a family, a show about a family too, right? Like family in multiple contexts, obviously, but... Um, families have female and male yeah. <laughs> participants in a family, right? That's what flushes out a whole idea. And so even though, yes, there aren't like women directly in the mob family, um, they are essential to that family as well, right? Like Livia and Johnny Boy and, you know, this whole history. Totally. I just think that there's so many incredible characters that bring something different to the show based on their relationship to it within the families. Mm. So characters like Carmela, like Meadow, uh, mm. even Hunter Scangarello, David Chase's daughter, little trivia piece. <laughs> but we have all these we have all these characters who have such a different relationship to what's going on than what we've seen in the first two episodes. Mm -hmm. And I think it really starts to strengthen those characters. We start to see them acting in ways that's already so deep. Yeah. And well, Char Charmaine, we talked about a little bit. Charmaine, of course. Yeah, yeah another one. Um, yeah, no, and it's it's just yeah, it's 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 really interesting to see the dynamics and the power dynamics between different groups of characters. The stuff between I actually found the stuff between Carmela and Tony in that first episode. Sorry, in the first in that early portion of the episode mm -hmm. where they go to their house. First of all, I thought that was interesting because we cut to it from a scene of like extreme violence where they're hitting Ariel on the head with a bell. Kind of like it's with the so phone. It's so graphic. Yeah. But I feel like anytime they have this kind of graphic violence, um, there's typically a point to it. And then to immediately cut from there to this domestic environment, this like beautiful house um, in an episode where Carmela, you know, goes and says, oh, I love the coziness of your house, obviously, yeah. is kind of like this, like, underhanded insult. Yeah. And then later on, you know, talking like, oh, I didn't know she how to She's trying to find compliment. nice things to say. Yeah. yeah, well, great job. Yeah. But, you know, I think it's that, again, it's this, the violence and the life that they have and all the luxuries that they have are so intertwined. Yeah. Um, but I thought, you know, it was really interesting. We start to see Carmela asserting herself a little bit, starting to push with more questions, you know, like, 
was it arson? You know, she's mm. there's an aspect of her coming to grips with that blood money. Yeah. And coming to grips with the fact that her life is built on violence. Yeah. Well, in terms of like mothers or even like in terms of wives, um, we definitely can look at Carmela. Carmela and Charmaine, I think a great comparison, and we touched on that a little bit, but Carmela and Livia, who we only see in mm -hmm. one scene this episode, she's hanging up some art in her um, retirement room, yeah. um, and it's a picture of AJ, which I, I was always wondering, right. like, is she going to hang one up of Meadow? Like, why is just <laughs> AJ there? But, um, like, is, you know, she's obviously the result of being in a relationship with Johnny Soprano, who, again, yeah. this kind of specter who lingers over yeah. um, everything. Um, but is that, like, and she's then basically telling Junior that they should kill Brendan in so few words, and then right. kind of denying that she insinuated it. It's such great acting in that scene. She's, yeah. a, she's amazing. Well, that's an interesting... But, but yeah. is that Carmel... Like, is that Carmela's future by being with someone like Tony mm. for the long term, um, or it, or are they or are they different? Is their experience going to be different? Are they different women? I mean, they clearly are, but what are the implications of being the partner to someone who's in that line of work? I think everybody has a different relationship with it. We see it evolve differently for Carmela, for Rosalie, for Rosalie, yeah, and for Charmaine, yeah. And it's that great line where Charmaine says, you know, I'm comfortable with my decisions. Yeah. I'm happy with where I am. One thing that was interesting in that scene with Livia is that focus on paintings again. It's yeah. really a link to the other things that are happening in the episode. But they're putting yeah, up Junior's hanging up the paintings. There's yeah. these, again, these kind of like classic landscape paintings. But one thing I noticed is that there was a way that things were shot where Tony was looking at the barn and the tree where you see him and behind him is the tree, is the painting, and you really see the greenery, the nature mm. behind him. Mm -hmm. And when Livia is talking to Junior, there's a painting with greenery and scenery, and behind her you see a very similar kind of outline within oh. the painting. And it happens at a time where she's kind of exerting her control over the situation mm. in a way that Tony often is. Mm. She's really kind of, I'm starting to see on this viewing, she's really one of the major players. Totally. I think in the first few viewings, I was kind of tricked by her act. Yeah. In a lot of ways, even though if I could kind of see what was going on, you kind of think of her as this kind of senile old lady. Well, when she calls herself a babbling idiot in this but it's, episode, right? It's this kind of brilliant. She's brilliant. She's a brilliant sociopath. She's yeah. kind of manipulating everybody. But to do what she wants, when she's talking about Brendan, she says, oh, I don't know him. It's so conscious. Yeah. But I feel like that is her exerting her control. And that's her dealing with the specter of nature and being in, unable to control that. And that maybe even being a generational thing that's passed down from mm. Livia to Tony. Mm. And that's something that exists within that family unit. That's, well, that's something that they're all dealing that's with. That's interesting. It's also interesting in the context of the whole conversation around Romans, right? So... Um, the, in the scene in Tony and Carmela's bedroom, she's like, I forget what he says, but then she's like, oh, we could go back to Italy, we can yeah. own a B&B, &B, and right. um, there's kind of this more, like, simple way of life in some ways. Um, and then we get the conversation like, in terms of generationally, right? I love that line where um, the son-in-law is talking about the Romans and the Jews he says, and where are the Romans now? Yeah. And Tony says, you're looking at them. I yeah. think that's like so... And then when we go to a shot shortly thereafter yeah. in their house, there's these kind of like classic columns. It's right. a very deliberate shot yeah. that makes their house evoke Roman architecture. Yeah. Um, so it is kind of this like... And the Romans were the you know one of the first great civilizations, if you want to call it that. And civilizing really does deal with controlling nature. I mean, yeah. when we, you know, right. control livestock when we uh, cut down trees. Um, civilizing is all about that level of control over our environment. Um, building the cathedral. Yeah. Yeah. Something. A great episode. I think a really great episode. I know. I was, I, we were reading, reading up on some of the other, like, um, some of the 
uh, Sopranos analyses that we that Sopranos we enjoy. Community. The Sopranos <laughs> community. Um, but even in which one was it? Maybe it was A B Club or something that put this episode together with the past episode. I'm like, these deserve to stand totally yeah. on their own. Why is right. that? Um, what else? Is there anything else we wanted to talk about? I had something. I'm trying okay. to see. I said the jazz standard. I was very Good. proud of my skill set. That that's was also, I was going to go nice. back to that, the tenderly. That's the first time we actually like see Tony as a sexual person, mm-hmm. too. Again, I mentioned it with the Carmela it's thing. It's true, actually. Um, we haven't seen him. We yeah. see him out to dinner in with not Irina, but Irina in the first episode. Yeah. But we, you know, we just start to get a taste of that as part of his humanity, if you want to call yeah. it that. Although we do get that line, too, about Frankenstein. That he's lacking humanity. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, sex is something that makes people human. Um, food. Yeah. Like, what is what is humanity? I don't yeah. know, or being human. Yeah. Um, I think it was also going to what we were reading. I think it was Sopranos Autopsy, which we're big fans of. I don't know if we've shouted them out yet, but it's an amazing resource for... If you like Sopranos. Somebody, if you like Sopranos <laughs> and these kinds of questions and reading and yeah and all that it's, it's an amazing it's an amazing place um but they did a great i'm pretty sure it was them they did a great job of linking the final montage scene to the godfather and the killing of mo oh. green and the baptism scene oh okay so they had brendan being shot the focus on his eye mo green being shot through the eye the focus on water the mixing of um these kind of domestic family scenes with violence mm. at the same time mm. of so godfather yeah well what isn't it's a pretty og movie <laughs> <laughs> i think I, I gotta go out on that that was good i like that that's i mean it, it wasn't that's all that you good. Say? no that's all you say? it wasn't that good um <laughs> <laughs> that sucked what else i think we're good I, I made it an OG reference that's kind of gangster. It's like so gangster. Yeah, I think I can't. I can't. We. I can't. I can't talk that. Okay. All right. Well, we loved the episode. Yeah. It's great. We'll be back what's, for another what's one. What's the next episode? That's a great Met- question. Oh, Meadowlands. Whoa, Meadowlands. Yeah. Okay. All right. Coming up to college. That'll be exciting. It's gonna be good. Yeah. Well, okay. thanks for listening. If you've listened this far. Yeah. And. In at the end. See you next time. Bye.